hope this works. I'm back in LA. I'm making my weekly weekly trip up here, it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you laughing? Because what we were talking about earlier? Yes. Tired of LA? Yes. You're getting over LA. Tell me about it. Tell Told me. you, man. Talk I was to me. at the coffee shop, our local coffee shop. How long did it take you to get here? Well, it, I, was, honest, I was cruising yeah. to two hours and 15 minutes. I can do that driving an hour and 30 minutes normally. Okay. But when I got close to a little bit in Orange County, I hit traffic really bad at uh, the airport, LAX, up to the 90, sure. cutting into Marina Del Rey. Yeah, that's that horrible. was. But dude, go to get my morning coffee at the spot right down the street. And I'm just, this is why we moved. I'm over these people here that are just so self-involved. They have no time for anyone else. They're entitled. This guy walks up that was behind me and just grabs someone else's coffee. No. Earbuds in, of course, acting like he's too busy to deal with anyone else. And the girl kind of like comes up and is like, hey, that's mine. And he just continues to walk. Just later. What? That's my... Uh, I also had this cough. I also had a latte, so this oh. must be mine. Oh. 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 So, I'm over it. Wow. Over it. That's Especially that's here. Ruthless. Especially this part of LA. No, that's ruthless. Tech bubble, Silicon Beach. What does that bring in? Douches. Douches. Is this C-level people? Or is it No, this is this is <laughs> this is Z-level people. Okay. Most that uh Do they manage something? They Maybe. manage their checkbook, probably. But mm. no, a lot of them are they're they're creators. Or I have a new project that I'm working on. Right. Or I'm working on a blog. There is something I'm working on something big. It's a big blog. It's nothing you can know about. You know what annoys me maybe more than anything when I go to these coffee shops? Because I do work a lot at coffee shops. Is the people that have like team like they bring in a team to work i've witnessed this at no at deus they'll have like there'll be a guy i forgot what he does i think he's is that real i think he's a little i think he owns like a little marketing firm he would bring in but they were always like new subcontracted people Mm -hmm. because you could tell he kind of had to always uh teach them a little bit of his processes but there'd be like two to three people you bring in this is a public cafe that he's like running a team at a public cafe while they're working on stuff. And he's like helping manage what they're doing. And he's doing some other stuff. But you could tell it's not no. like the same. Because I would never see the same people working with them. I've seen people FaceTime, have FaceTime meetings. You don't see that. I've never seen this anywhere else but in LA. Maybe San Francisco is probably like that in New York. But I've never seen it anywhere else. At a coffee shop. FaceTime meetings. Computer open FaceTime meetings. It's crazy. So what kind of come? What I've had people look at me Are these weird. Like Shopify, probably stores. You think probably a little bit of that. Mm. Content creators. Wow. But I've seen people yeah. literally look at me weird when Nico's in there and he's maybe causing a little bit of ruckus and being maybe a little bit loud or a little bit louder than maybe people would want it to be. Sure. But it's a like it's a coffee shop. It's a public space. I get dirty looks. Like I'm working here. No way. Then go to your fucking office. No way. What? Yep. That's so messed up. I'm over it. Because, well, like, everyone was a fucking child. <laughs> everyone was that screaming baby. I never get that, we too. When people, when people kind of look at, like, with, with a kid, right, 
they look at you weird. Sure, yeah. For your kid doing something. Nothing crazy, just like being a kid. Sure. It's like, you were this kid once. We all went through it. Yes. So What the hell? That's my rant. No, that's so messed up, though. My rant's over. That is literally, you were a crying little baby at probably a worse place at a library. Yeah. He never even cries at these places. He's just like, he loves anything with an engine. So when he's at Deus, he sees motorcycles and freaks out What's and he thinks it's, he's just running around like a maniac, That's loving so it, loving life. And he then just there's, sends it. there's dogs everywhere and people bring their dogs and he loves dogs. So he's checking out the dogs. And it's always funny to see people that like bring a dog to a public place like that, but don't want anyone to interact with their dog. Like didn't leave your dog at home. What an unbridled enthusiasm to just cause a big scene and but be excited n- about the randomest shit and give zero fucks. Yeah. But then society like tries to shape you into like no no no, don't act out like that. Right. But that's so cool. Keep running it. <laughs> Keep running. Oh, we Let we try we, we try to make a scene contain it a little bit to where it's not cra- too crazy, but that's we beautiful. we let him we let him go, man. He's Huh. That's so fun. Why restrict the joy? Yeah. Does it ever tighten up just naturally with psychology? Do you think like as it develops, maybe babies like start to less and less like do that? I think uh, that's in the in the hands of the parents. I think, oh. you know, if I think if you start at an early age shutting it down, you know, and to each their own, I'm never going to tell a parent how to parent. But yeah, <laughs> and our view is is to kind of harness that that energy and turn it into good you know like um you know when you have that enthusiasm and that personality it may seem overwhelming when they don't know how to control it but i'm not gonna stop it so i can look like a better parent in front of other people yeah when that may turn into something later down the road where the kid has social issues or doesn't like to play with others or you know so I'd rather him run amok a little bit and us teach him the situations when that's acceptable and what, what's not acceptable than just to always shut it down. All right. So let me gauge your level of on the scale of like not giving a fuckery about causing a scene, which is ama- that's so beautiful. I want you to run that <laughs> all the way there. But I want to know I want to know like the max. Like, let's just say. The Oscars were last night, so this is the first time I've ever watched the Oscars before. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely it's it's a whole performance. There's so many, you know, popular A-list people all there in that theater. By the way, imagine they're doing an announcement for the maybe maybe you're like two hours into it, so yeah. you know it's maybe some of the audio mixers. And they're hanging on to every word, and you for some reason you're at the red carpet. And little Nico. <laughs> and little Nico goes sending it out there on like into the audience, loud, crying, and everyone's like stone quiet. Well, not crying. Like that's a one thing. Okay, that's, well, that's just different. Or, like excitement. Excitement. Like, total, total unbridled enthusiasm. Like loves it. Yeah. It is. It's probably again, like, a really cool again, scene. You're gonna, don't like, take yourself too seriously. Yeah. Right? Like, especially the celebrities. Don't take don't take yourself too seriously. Oh, the pose. Oh. For the cameras. Yeah. Oh, you ruined my photo, little kid. Right. Like, get over yourself. Um, yeah, I wouldn't apologize. 
I maybe say like if some if he like ran into someone, I would say sorry. But if I wouldn't apologize for him having excitement. Yeah. I think that's something, you know, is something that should be harnessed and, and turned into positivity when you get to an age that, you know, you can find excitement in some some of the most mundane and, and dull things, you know. So I think maybe that's a big issue with kids in school these days is they they don't find excitement in learning new things. So who knows? I'm not an expert on that by far. Not even close. I didn't read a single parenting book. <laughs> so this is all just what I think. But I think that's probably the, the better move. Yeah. Don't read a parenting book. I know that sounds <laughs> crazy at first, but then you just go off of instinct. Well, you got to remember, most Whatever of the parenting books are written by people. Yeah, that are in society's norms. They're no, no, no. They, they've written it from their own experience. That's true. It's not based off science. There but, are some scientific but multiple books. multiple experiences, and they've probably led a lot of people. Or some of, no, but some of it's literally one experience, you know, and they may get information from other people, but the... Uh, really? I think the book, the real famous one, this is the only book I really read any chapters of, was uh, Raising Bebe, which is about a American woman that moved and lived in France and found out a different way to kind of raise her kid, a European... French style. Okay. It has to do a lot with sleep training and social interactions and everything. Again, that's not based off science. That's based off of her experience, right? And her knowledge from that experience. Now, that's great to kind of have an, a broader understanding or have someone's opinion. Sure. But I'm not going to raise my kid based off of someone else's experience with their kid that's completely different in a completely different environment. Sure. It'd be so nice it's to good go to have that, that base of knowledge and understanding, sure. but I'm not going to, oh, yeah, that worked for this one lady, so it must work for me, you know? So, Right, and just go off of purely, like, this is the way, follow the way. Right. <laughs> yeah. Follow me down this path. That's very true. There's so many books that, like, allude to, like, their own experience that shapes, like, I chose this other path, like, you can too. Yeah. And it's like... So am I choosing your path? Right. Or am I leaning into my own instincts? I, I don't know. Well, I think... What's the message? Well, I don't... I think some of the books are... They kind of tend to lead you away from leaning into your own instincts. Which is wrong. Yeah. It's like... Because the only reason you bring up an anecdotal part about something is to like show you like, oh, look, I've experienced it too. Right. So you that... you know, And there are... Def I, I mean, I know there's books out there that do kind of try to get you to lean into your own experiences, but I just find a but lot. those are niche. Those yeah, are and I find specific. a lot of them, and the science ones are good. I just didn't read them, but there's some scientific ones that are pretty good about why you should do certain things. But again, I just think as individuals, very few things you can put down that are universal that work for, that you're like, this is going to work for everyone. It's yeah. no different than like the people are like, oh, if you, uh, you see on the internet all the time, like the, the, the morning routine that all billionaires do. Sure. Like, not all billionaires, not all millionaires, not all C-level executives and it doesn't really have matter. the same morning routine. You're full of shit. You're yeah. just trying... You know, it's kind of that You're same thing. Yeah. Like, I know some C-level executives that don't do any of that shit. Yeah. And I've witnessed it firsthand. So it's like, great. Some of them do it. That's cool. That doesn't mean, you know... Some and of some them don't YouTube it either. No, and some people do need that in their life to help get them on the right path right maybe they do have a hard time uh you know 
I think there's this famous uh, Navy SEAL general or whatever. He said, you know, the first, everyone should make their bed in the morning. And the reason for that is... Is that Jocko? No, it's not Jocko. It's someone else. But the reason for that is, and the why they do it, and why they're so particular about it in the military is because mm-hmm. you then start your day off by finishing a task. Yeah. You've successfully done something that only takes a few minutes. Right. And you can start your day with that kind of positive, um, that that positivity yeah. to say, you, you know what, I, I already completed a task. So sure. yes, I'm going to face harder challenges today, but I know that I can complete a task today. Right. Can I just take a turn that um, talking about you know, there's so many ads and posts, like especially for business minded people like entrepreneurs to read a bunch of books, you know, like here's my book list yeah. and like, you know, all CEOs read 60 books a year, like whatever the stats are. It's it's ridiculous because the it shouldn't be talking to you about you need to read. It's like you should just be doing that. And then it's your decision that kind of like shapes right. how you roll with things. You you interpret these books differently. And that's really the takeaways is like how you interpret a book and how that fits into your worldview. You might snatch on to something, yeah. you know, and follow that path. Or you might decide like the creator's way and like, okay, that's cool. He followed his way, but like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to lean into my own experiences. Well, the, you know? the funny thing about that is, is most of the people that are really influential around the world on a, on a macro level, right? Are guys that did it their own way. That, yeah. that looked at things that were impossible, right? And said, well, I don't think it is. Let me go down this path and, and figure out why people say it's impossible. And let me see if it is or it, if it's not. There may, it may be impossible, but let me go down the path and figure out the why of why it's impossible and yeah. and can we make it possible and what what it takes to make it possible is it physically possible listen right now i'm like <laughs> you know my racing career as it were <laughs> what it was you know i finished prototype racing i had wins and then i kind of just stopped racing for a year yeah and i was working on a company and you know i was looking for budget and i kind of just fell out of the way and now I'm in the second year of like going into not having funding and like, what what the hell am I even pursuing now? You know, as you kind of like, you're not riding the wave of momentum. You yeah. kind of like, you know, you take a peek up, that wave kind of passes. There could be another wave that you latch onto. So that's where I'm at. And then I drove off-road racing <laughs> and I was literally, the thought was like, okay, I think a lot of people say that off-road racing, just coming from road racing, like a road racing background, you would say that it's, look, it's really dangerous out there. Like they're just playing in the fucking desert. Right. You know, those guys are batshit crazy and they're fucking fast, you know, and maybe you could, but probably not like, you know, good luck. But when I went out there and drove it, it's like, no, it's not. The whole sport, it looks like some of the rollovers are like dangerous and stuff. Yeah. But a lot of the Baja 1000 is like second and third gear, you know, and it's like very controlled and it's like going through first gear stuff, crawling right. over some rocks, navigating over rock crawling. There's other times when you go fast, but it's like really, if you don't get through any of the slow speed stuff, you will not even come close to winning. Right. You know, and that's like what you're going to go a mile an hour quicker than someone. Right. So, 
I think there's a lot more tact involved in the 1000. And like, that was my whole thing is like, whoa, if you approach this as a more like overview way of looking at it, like instead of, you know, just being fastest everywhere, just like get through the shit that really you can't be much quicker than anyone else. You know, it's pretty close. Find out how to get through the fast stuff. Okay. You can still lift. You're going to lose nothing. Like, right. you know, even through the fast stuff, it's like, yeah, if you go a little bit slower and don't risk it, whatever. Like, because if you get stuck somewhere slow, forget it. Your race is over. So you can just hang into like a top three just by doing that. And I thought, wow, like I want to, I want to try to be the best off-road racer. <laughs> it was really fun. So you're leaning into, I'm off, leaning into, into off-road racing. And I'm, I'm willing for that <laughs> idea to completely obliterate in my face. I'm, ex I'm excited for that to happen, actually. Because I know that's it's a silly idea. Like it's it's not that like sure I could race. I've done road racing my whole life. You know, why would I do off road racing? I so, get it. So the return of what we discussed the other night, the return to open wheel racing in mm. the F three series is done. Right. We're not exploring that. <laughs> Are we ex still exploring that? As soon as I texted you, you said the number. I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm like, get the fuck out. I, I could hate. be wrong. I just I, hate, like, I remember. I remember. <laughs> talking to someone this or last last year about it and I, I think that's the number i think the f3 car is like a little bit more than double what formula four is it's still less than pro mazda or whatever they call it now pro 2000 mm -hmm. but i mean i think kind of what we were talking about just before starting this is it will be interesting to see with that new scholarship and uh, for people that aren't listening, uh, that maybe aren't up to speed, Honda just announced that they are going to Wait, provide. Jump in. Go <laughs> jump in. I think tell your number just and we'll get back to the Honda thing. But say the number you told me. I think it's like 400,000. <sighs> that hits hard. But that hits hard. But that's I what think, USF 2000 is to win. I think how's you that can do it's six races and one of them is a unknown but to we, be announced we talked about okay, what so those costs five are races the, i think you can do that season for 150k i think you could do that no way yes you can yes. barely do f4 for that why but f4 with like a fuck ton of testing it's like no like wreck. a normal First of all, don't wreck normal budget for f4 is anywhere from 125 to 200 depending on how much testing you're 150. doing 150 150 is F3. about the average. So, no, you're not doing F3 for that. Yes. No. I think so. Well, then go buy a car. <laughs> go do it. How much does an engineer cost for, for, for those races? I could talk to Eric Purcell about engineering for me. So you're going to call him favors? No, I mean, he'll have a price. What's the day rate? He'll have a price. What's, what's the day rate of a top junior formula engineer? $1,000 a, a day? No $2,000 a day? There's no way that he's... I don't think he's like in F3 engineering right now. He's doing like Formula Mazdas and stuff. So this would be not what I'm asking. This would be what's a little the bit cost? More, yeah, yeah, let's we'll do the math. The weekend let's do the let's let's break it down. What's the cost to buy the car? I have no idea. See? <laughs> so you're spitting out trying to spit out grand. all these facts. Seventy-five grand. Definitely not. Of course. Definitely more than that. Why? Well, the F prototypes are way the more F expensive. The F4 car is all in once you really have it ready to hit on track. Is like no. It's like 65, 70. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think the F3 is probably like 120. It's a, it's that sounds anywhere, about right. Anywhere from 75. Okay. So you're going to buy that. Okay. So you're already almost at your budget limit for the year. 
Right, but look, if you're buying a car, that's an investment as a team. We talked about this too. I Still hate a depreciating that. asset. I though. hate that when teams will. We did talk about this. Yeah, we talked about this over text. It's like you can't be a team and put the bird being a team and then being like, hey guys, we have a team. Boop, 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 boop. And then you get a couple drivers, and you're like, great, we got two drivers. We're going and buying two yeah. cars. It's an asset and to them. It's like, oh, the budget's 35K. Well, when you break it down, 8K is going yeah. to paying for the race car yeah. that we just bought. And it's they're, like, putting, they're putting the depreciation on, on the customer, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah. And you end up paying for a race car that they will have the assets to at Close the end. to it. Yeah, close to it. And they get it for free. That's why I know uh, a few people in which like means a gain of indie lights and stuff that went through the route of buying a car for the team especially when it's a great opportunity when they switch to a new car and you bring the car so that the team doesn't have that have that upfront cost and then you can work a deal out for much less lesser price because yeah. then at the end of the year they either get the car for free depending on what deal you worked out Wait, or so for saying, years to come they're renting the car and you can make some of the money back so you're saying as a driver you can buy the car and hold it for the team? No, I know people that have done that in junior formula racing where, say, the team was a three-car team, but they had interest in going to four, but they didn't really have the capital to go out uh -huh. to buy a car in hopes to getting a fourth driver. But the fourth driver comes in and says, I'm going to take that cost. I'm going to I'm gonna take that. So, But now I need a, a deal, right? So they buy the car. They buy the car. Yeah. Get it, you know, maybe pay for it to be completely yeah, I've known a couple track ready. Of, yeah. And they can save some money in the long run because sure. they can either sell it back to the team, sell it on the open market, rent it, lease it for the years after, and, and make money back on it. You can yeah. save a little bit of money doing it that way. So Yeah, I know of a UK driver who's doing like Formula Renault that was doing something like yeah. that. So their own like father-son way of doing it. So back to the the scholarship, I think it's pretty cool because it gives a different path forward. Oh, outside okay. of the right. road to Indy to make it into Indy Lights, which is what one point three million dollars. Mm -hmm. Now, what's weird is Maybe. in in the release that well, just say a million plus, right? Million and change. It's got to be. So be. now, yeah. now in the re press release, it was very vague. Kind of just said they would provide or help you race indie lights or you'd race in indie lights doesn't say right if you get a certain amount of money it doesn't say if you're going to be beholden to be with a certain team which would be a big problem in my my eyes mm -hmm. um but i guess if you it's one of those things where if you don't have the budget it's great but it also can be career ending if you don't have the budget and you go with a shitty team and yeah. you could have done four races with andretti if they had a car opener or someone else kind of like the t-list deal right Tillis didn't have the money, selected the races that he could do, got some help. Now he has a full-time sports car ride. Okay, he's not an Indy car where he hoped he'd be, but he has now has a fully paid ride, or at least he's racing for free, one of the did two. I a, highly doubt he's bringing money. Did he take a sponsor to it? To what, the sports car? Yeah. No, I think he's... I think he's paid to do no, I think he just was able to show, showcase his talent. Mm. He already had a name because of the road Indy stuff. Yeah. And the... Uh, Team USA, and like I talked to someone else that's been part of that whole program, part of once you're kind of in that that little bubble of Team USA and yeah, sure, and being a top road indie star, 
there are guys that come out of the woodworks that try to help you stay in that program. Yeah. Once you've kind of proven yourself to be a race winner and they don't want to see you kind of fall by the wayside, there's some people in the industry that really start to step up. So it will be interesting to see if, if it's, you're going to be with, and like we were talking about, you know, we need to find out who is a Honda team in IndyCar that maybe also has an Indy lights program. Sure. Maybe it is. It's like, okay, cool. We're going to, help subsidize on the back end in your IndyCar program with engine leasing, but you're going to give us an Indy Lights ride for half a million, not a million. Yeah. And we can throw half a million towards the budget. So it'll be interesting to see. It's cool because I think it uh, it's a step to keep people from going into USF a year after to go straight into F3. It's going to help build that F3 program for sure. Yeah. And I think it's going to do it right away. I think there'll be some drivers that maybe rethought going into Pro 2000 or even USF 2000 to go, whoa, wait a minute. I can almost skip a year now. I can yeah. skip a year or two if I have that success. And I know a couple of drivers that uh, are already looking to do it. They still have to find the money. But F3 could be an interesting, interesting category this year. I know some teams have already committed to one or two more cars. So you could see a grid of 15 to 20 F3s, which yeah, would be, be solid. That would be series. solid. It definitely, it's very pertinent, that scholarship announcement. It, there was a group of guys that are fielding up for something like an opportunity like that. Oh yeah. Where it comes in from the side and offers the same scholarship money to get into Indy lights. Well, think about it. If you're in that, if you're in that pro 2000 and I've heard budgets of 700,000 and you can come in and do it for two to 300, <laughs> you're crazy. Two to $300,000 or less and put together a proper testing schedule, be with a great team, you know, it's going to help some of these other teams like um, a good example is like Kiwi Motorsports that only does F4 to maybe be able to do F3 because now there's more drivers interested and it's more feasible because now they can maybe run a two car, three car team instead of just a one car team. Mm-hmm. So it'll be in, and they have a little bit more confidence than buying the cars and waiting for the drivers. You know, there's going to be more drivers hopefully showing interest. Yeah. So I think it's it's the right foot forward because i think that seven hundred dollars seven hundred thousand dollar mark to race after the pro 2000 is a joke i think it's way too expensive for that level of formula car racing especially in america so i'm excited to see it really excited to see it yeah what are you thinking yeah i can see your brain your brain working (laughs) you're still trying to figure out a way to make it happen that you can race in it no i'm thinking maybe 225 (laughs) I'm thinking it what could can go... you what can you commit to right now? Not, Nothing. Not a, lot. <laughs> not a lot. It's just you know what's the interesting thing too. When you get to a point like I missed out on the wave that wave of road to indie success stream, you know, and like enough to be in a I don't know just competitive, yeah, you know, in a top three championship spot. Like I kind of was my last year, but kind of was my last year. I was in third, but. It was just, it was fringe, you know? Yeah. We had engines explode. It was... It's hard. It should have been... I mean, it was a third place for sure. We can get into that on a later day. <laughs> but it was like, I literally had four or five engine explosions on yeah. like a limited six six race calendar. It was like really bad. Right. But I was like third up until the last race to the last engine blew. <laughs> and it just, it ruined it. So whatever. But... I missed out on the wave a little bit. And so then you have this act you can play. Like you can be kind of the 
you could be the formula car driver that doesn't have the budget, find a way to get some sponsor to pick it up or get into like a different form, get into like, I don't know, uh, global rally cross, big move, you know, like do, do global something. rally cross non-existent. I know, but you could have done It was a horrible that. move. You could have done that though. I know a driver that wasted two years of his career doing, going down that Who path. I don't want to name names. Okay. I think, I mean, yeah. But yes. I know a driver that wasted two solid two years of his career. Yes. And I still think he'll make it because he's super talented. Sure. But the perception of him is different now because he's entering formula car racing. I've never understood that. Yeah. He's, he's entering formula car racing as an experienced driver. So when people look at him, they're like, well, yeah, you should be kicking. But you're, you're racing against kids that are younger than you that that have way less experience than you. Yes, you did in a different form, but you have it's yeah. a, still experience in a car. Sure. So, and then he's going to, when he gets that point, he's going to be an older guy trying to go into IndyCar and it's going to be harder. So I'm hoping that it, it doesn't affect him too much in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. The talent's obviously there. I, I know, I know, know that for sure. So it'll be interesting to see, but you're right, you know, moving into, into different forms and, you know, this is actually kind of a good seg segue because we're going to be talking to Dane Cameron yeah. here in a little bit. Sure. And he's a perfect example of someone that came up through the ladder, won everything, mm -hmm. just stand out. And then for a while was like lost, didn't know. And we can touch on this a little bit. Hopefully he'll Ooh. be willing to talk about it a little bit. Wow. He didn't, he didn't have a ride. Didn't he win Star Mazda Championship? Yeah. yeah. With like stupid low budget. He yeah. told me once what they did it on. Okay. Ricky, now, Ricky's told now, me. He was my... You know, he comes from a, a pretty famous American uh, family of engineers and race team owners. So, you know, he kind of had that going and helping, kind of like a, a Colin Brown where, you know, having your dad being a, a, a famous engineer definitely helped accelerate that. But the talent was always there. But mm -hmm. he told me the number that he did for that championship winning Star Mazda, Pro Mazda championship. Yeah. He, you would laugh at how low it was. Really? Just pulling all your resources together. But he dominated and uh, so was a dominating force in uh, Indy Lights when he ran, or Atlantic, I guess it was back then. I guess he ran Atlantic, not Indy Lights. Uh, dominating force in, in Atlantic, and just nothing came of it for an IndyCar ride. Really? And like we talked about off-air recently, you know, he's, in my eyes, probably the most underrated top american in racing right now and for the last couple of years it's great to see him with penske be interesting to see uh if he still has any aspirations to race indycar i think i've talked to him in the past where he kind of like it's gone and dusted there's no reason to think about it really yeah, um, I mean, he's got to be smart about that it's looking like now he's going to have a chance to go race at lamar because of what's been announced with the ACO. And if he stays with Penske, they've shown interest to be able to race in Lamar. So it's going to be very interesting, his path over there. Because he's still wow. super young. We'll so have to Penske ask him. But is I think obviously going to transition to the LMDH, right? I think so. Within the hypercar system. Yeah. Which I don't... We touched on that last podcast. Well, and it's he, this is going to be a great example because it's a guy that's been gone all the way up from Daytona yeah. prototypes to the DPIs to... LMP2s, PCs, he's done everything in, in prototype racing except yeah. really LMP1. So it'll be interesting to, to hear his thoughts on the hypercar 
he's got anything in the works to hopefully try to do some hypercar stuff. But he's a guy, I'm telling you, he's a guy that we're going to be watching for years and years to come Yeah, for lots of championships, lots of race wins. And I, and I think when we look back at it, you know, we'll say 20, 30 years down the road, he's going to be one of those new names of a Scott Pruitt, of a uh, um, Andy Lally, of uh, Auberlin, like those kind of names in American sports car racing. Mm. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm thinking about it too. So his his dad is Ricky Cameron, right? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. And then Steve Cameron is his uncle. Is his uncle. Yeah. And so he grew up with like them like involved in trench and racing, right? Yeah. Like working for IndyCar yep. teams. Yep. Right. So when he was going through like I don't know, what did he do before Star Mazda? I think he did the I think he did USF two thousand. Or or was it oh okay. Yeah. yeah. And you remember he did Team USA. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, I think that I think he did it back when they did the formal Palmer Audi stuff. Mm. Or I think like they did we'll have to ask him, but I know when they did the formal Palmer Audi stuff. Cuz I always thought that was weird how and I understand it may be budget constraints, but you have drivers that race at a higher level than F1600, yeah. they get selected and go do F1600 and the Formula Ford Festival and Walter Hayes is not what it used to be. Yeah. And they're going and doing that instead of something like a, uh, you know, you get one race in Italian F4 or Formula Renault or, or something. I yeah. thought it would be a little bit more beneficial for your career. Were you, so, were you ever considered for Team USA? Yeah, but I was too old. I had some people on the back end that were former winners that were trying to help. Um, my problem was I didn't race enough in formula cars consistently because i never yeah. did like a full full year championship mm. so when i was doing like the skip barber national stuff when people were still getting selected from that yeah i was only doing select races and yeah i won a couple but they didn't care and then when i was racing full time i had a few guys that were former winners that were trying to help but thought i was too old and then a couple of years later someone my age at that point what how old i was 24 and they didn't, yeah. which I understand, you know, the that's the, the program's there for, for young guys, lads. And yeah. I started car racing a little bit later than 15, yeah. 16 years old. So I get it. Um, I wouldn't say I was ever deserving of it. So, yeah, I wonder, if I think I, if I would have raced the whole Skip Barber National Series that year, because I think in that year, the I think I did three races as of five, I had. So three races, two races a weekend, so six. I think I had three or four poles, two race wins, and never finished worse than fifth. And it was on the podium almost every race. Mm. So it would have been a good – I think I would have had a good shot at the title that year. Yeah. Just based off, you know, the three out of six, seven events I that they had – eight sure. events that they had on the calendar. And they were all tracks I'd never been to, really. So yeah, that was good. I wonder if that's – I wonder if this is a similar thing that happened with me in Team USA. It's like I was just a little bit too old for when I came into it. Yeah. I'm not sure. Even if I would have been selected for the tryout, I think that time in my life I was a little too outspoken. Mm. Yeah. Little I think too I, much of a personality. I 
think I was kind of like what too. we what we talked what we we're ta- talking about, and I kind of want to dive into a little bit more of like I'm bored with the race car yeah. with race car drivers these days. I, I started talk. I started yapping <clears throat> my trap early on. Yeah, they got me in some trouble. Yeah, I wonder if it did me. I lost. I lost an opportunity. Not an opportunity. I got myself in in trouble in a series. Yeah, not yapping, but like just, just something. Speaking your sometimes you need it. to learn to shut up yeah. and listen. Right. And just maybe maybe your opinion isn't needed right now. And when I was when I was in my I would say even up until I was like twenty five, twenty six, I and I'm still outspoken, but I think I'm I'm a way better listener now than I was back then. Mm. And yeah, I mean I'd give my opinion or I would say things that maybe just didn't need to be said. And I probably rubbed some people the wrong way. I wasn't cocky. Was always confident it was never about that it was never about like how good i thought i was yeah right but there was maybe just situations where you know you're in a driver's mean and and they have an the you have an opinion of how things should be going or and you you speak up where it's like maybe it's not time for you to speak up right you're not a famous indie car driver that has a resume that you can kind right. of speak up right maybe just shut i don't up. regret it because that's who who i am and who i was and who i always will be, I'd never be like but that. i definitely probably said things that it's like why you didn't need to say anything just shut up and drive yeah like stop just stop (laughs) so um but do you think that was your ultimate thing no my ultimate thing was my dedication to to it right for sure that's i yeah i mean i wasn't willing to put in the off-track work that was needed for someone that didn't have the budget you're saying you weren't no oh no no, no. I know what it takes, and I didn't didn't have what it takes on the, off the track. Really, for sure. No, I think now I I do, but back then I think I think I looked at it as oh my talent should be good enough, or mm. I maybe I was told no so many times by potential sponsors or even sponsors I thought I was close enough to that should have been able to at least help out a little bit. Or scared of no, or scared to take that step. I remember always getting like caught in mouth when I'd like just about to talk to like, you know, someone that could possibly do something for me financially. Mm. So, and I've overcome that a lot. I think I'm a pretty good public speaker. What do you mean caught, caught in mouth? Like you, like you literally just start to like choke up and then like you, you, you lose the saliva in your mouth. So uh, it's like you, you have trouble speaking. And I would always get like nervous. Like I, th- I think I was pretty good at, hiding it but i remember perfect example is when i when i had the thing in austria with red bull and i remember sitting next pretty much face to face like this with with helmut and just locked up and he probably saw it you know i thought i probably was hiding it pretty good but i guarantee he saw it and you know it's i just know it wasn't just that but it's like you know it's like when you hear someone that like when I was doing sports cars, you would hear of someone that would is interested in you driving with them or, or whatnot. And you're afraid to make that call because you're afraid of the no, or you're afraid that it's going to be the another situation where they ask for money. And then you just don't want to tell them you don't have money and you just yeah. don't want to get And You know, a lot of it was that a lot of it was just, you know, I, I could have sat like we talked about Charlie Kimball in the last one. The kid, one thing you can never take away from that kid is his dedication. Yeah, I'd hear stories when I was spending when I was at IU and I'd 
he was kind of coming up. He's a little bit older than me, but coming up through the hours he would spend in the gym and then straight on to phone calls and emails, reaching out to anyone and everyone, making cold calls left and right, connecting the dots. I was horrible at it. Wow. Horrible. So um, I've always said in business, I feel like I can sell pretty much anything, but I'm ho- I can't sell myself. Yeah. I wonder, I've definitely had definitely times where I've responded like that too. Yeah. For sure. It's hard. For sure. But I was, I didn't, I didn't work, I didn't work out a lot when I was younger. Even then when I, I didn't start to work out like my best shape of my life was right at the end when I stopped racing. So in like 2012, 11, 12 Mm. was the best shape of my life. But before that, I never worked out. And this was right when the kind of the working out thing was becoming a big deal. And I was like, I don't need to. But that was, it just shows that it was like that. I didn't have that. And I think I got to a point where it was like, eh, it's not the end all be all for me. No, but it's not like there's other things in life I enjoy this. It's not the part that I'm saying that is like the going and talking to like, of uh, who this or that or talking on the phone with someone that might be able it could be an opportunity right it's almost like a test drive with you as a person yeah and you kind of just yeah maybe don't just don't like sway the conversation in the right way and like you know don't you're not upfront about you as a as an individual you know maybe a little bit more just you got to put on this like face like right you know you got to be good and yeah, cotton mouth, and you're just... Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you you know, it's fine. You feel like you hide it, okay? But, yeah, I feel like it could be also a numbers thing. You know, like the more... Oh, more for like, sure. It's just like dating, man. Yeah. Dating here in L.A. Yeah. Not that I've experienced, because I was no, engaged anything, before I came any here, type but... Of, any, type, any type of relationship that you pursue, you know? It, sure. isn't, it is a numbers game. I mean, the more people you're able to connect Inter- with interact, interact with the more opportunities that are going to arise sure i mean just I, get in their mind go like, to, be... that was the other thing i was at a point where i like didn't want to go to the racetrack unless i was racing yeah and it was the dumbest thing as a driver yeah. that's looking for a ride yeah. as oliver talked about same is the dumbest thing you can do but i just didn't want to i didn't want to do it i didn't want to do it. i didn't want to go there go to even local races shake hands they go to sonoma yeah i wouldn't go yep i'd miss it what? Why? Yeah. Why would I not go? Yeah. I remember, you know, every year, Obviously, especially in sports yeah. car racing, the big thing is, you know, if you don't have a ride, you better be at the Roar. And before it was the Roar, it was just like the whatever, like Daytona test days or what whatnot. But I remember going there, and I years after, I'd be like, oh, I don't have a ride this year. Or like 2009 was a perfect example when I did the NASCAR stuff or the modified stuff. Is I could have gone to Daytona. It was a six-hour drive. I didn't have to get on a plane. I had my own car. I had money to put in the gas tank. I had money for a hotel room. I had friends down there if I, I could sleep with if I needed to. But no. Mm. Is that dedication? You know? It's also like, I think, do you want to do that? Because it, it, like, there's different appealing things about racing. Yeah. And sometimes you kind of, maybe the effort wasn't there because that wasn't your whispering thought of racing you thought maybe less of that opportunity and you're looking for 
either the mecca thing that you want to do, which you can't do, yeah. it takes ultra funding or something that's insurmountable, then you can go that route, but maybe you just don't fully buy into it. Yeah. I mean, there were definitely, I think there were definitely times where it was like, like what why am I going to go down there and waste my time even if you get looking, looking for, get a ride in a shitty car yeah. that you're just going to put around in 10. Yeah. No, do nothing. Do nothing. Like really, if you're not winning. Right. And what I think, are you there for? and I think I got to a point. That's what I don't really. Where that was difficult to yeah. to to swallow. That's why I don't like pursuing those things. Yeah. Because it's like, I don't know. Like, is that good for putting around in tenth? And but again, but there you is. there is but, value there is there is value in that because if you're if it's your if it's like I tell these drivers these days, you're either all in it or you're not. Yeah. And if you're not all all, all in and your parents don't have the budget to send you all the way up through, might as well just stop. Don't waste the money. Yeah. You got to be all in. This is the only way you're going to be successful. You yeah. may get you may get a little bit of opportunities, right? Like I got a little bit. I had some great opportunities. I raced for numerous years. Yeah. But I visioned myself being in a higher level, and to get there, I wasn't willing to take those other steps. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I should have been every PCA, every vintage race at Road Atlanta. I should have been up. Should have been shaking hands, looking to coach people. And I didn't. Right. Didn't. Same. So, Same. you know, and that's that's that dedication that I I know some, day, that you got to have. Want to sports car race? Yes, I loved sports car racing more than open wheel. Yeah, no, but oh, I okay, love okay, no, okay. but I'm compa- I'm a competitive person. Okay. I love racing. I knew the open wheel thing was done. Okay, there was no opportunity. There was never like I never thought oh, but ugh, maybe I could get into a F two thousand car. Never, really, why? never once because I knew the budget wasn't there to be. I could maybe do one race. That wasn't going to lead to anything. Mm, I see. Where I could do lots of races in the beginning, right? In the sports car stuff when I first moved over to sports car racing. Mm-hmm. But then you kind of get stuck into this like, oh, I just race these STGS style cars. Right. You right. know, how do I get into a GT? Do GT, I have any other how do experience? I, yeah. like, how do I, I get that experience? It's like, well, what is it? There's a, I think it's from a movie recently. Or a TV show where the person's like, they're like, oh, you've never worked uh, in the fashion industry before? And she's like, no. And the late hiring is like, well, we need someone in the fashion industry. And she's like, yeah, but if I don't, how am I supposed to get experience in the fashion industry? If I can't get, if I can't get experience in the fashion industry. Right. (laughs) So it was, it's like like that. It's like uh, being, getting into SAG. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Like to get to get a job, you have to have a SAG card. Right. So it's like what? You have to get hired for something. Else. Well, you can't get hired unless you have a SAG card. But if you do it like this, you know, an extra or something, if you're like an extra for. You have enough speaking. And you get picked. I got my SAG. Well, I used to have my SAG card. Oh, you did? Yeah. So you went after it. You played the system. No, and I just did it be... enough at that point that I could have it. You did what? When I was younger. Stunt stuff? No. What'd you do? That's a hard industry to get into. You What'd know you that. Do? How, how would I did you some modeling and acting when I was younger. <laughs> so, but what is that news? <laughs> no, we don't need to talk about that. Chris, tell us so, about it. No, so, come on. no, we're not talking come about on. no modeling and acting. Yes, tell tell me. We more. we share a lot. <laughs> Chris, I, no, I was never details. like you. I was never a big timer like you. I never in was Europe. A, I was never a big timer. I saw. No, I saw it. It was literally. I got one job. <laughs> You posted a lot about that one job then. I know. Um, 
where were we going? No, but the stunt industry, that's hard to get into. Really hard. It's like really close-knit family yes. to get into. You got to know certain people. Yeah. Why is it like that? I think it's just, uh, it's there's like no need. I think there's, yeah, that's the best way to put it. There is not enough jobs mm, to just, to just really ton like of people to do it that the people that are already in it want to keep it for themselves because that's how you make money. Yeah, right? they know is, it's a little bit of buku bucks. Yes. So know? if you start bringing in people, that starts taking jobs away from them. They may know too that being a stuntman itself, like for certain jobs, really isn't that dangerous or hard or risky at yeah. all. You and know? some of it's not. Some of it's not. I mean, yeah. I think a large majority besides like, you know. The really good the ones obvious. make bank. Yeah. Bank. I know. I don't know. Honestly, him, but I, I know of I one guy that's a big, big and big in motor, the motorcycle stunt world. And he's. I mean, it's L.A. bank, but, no, I mean, but like me, he, uh, he's making a really, really good living. Cause he's got, I got know a house in like Calabasas. Yeah, I bet. Lives, a, you know, great cars. I bet. It's it's a lot of money. They make a lot of money. Yeah. But I don't really know about that much about stunt driving at all, actually. <laughs> I really don't. Nor do I. You don't? Nor do I. I know someone. I have a, a buddy that did a lot of stunt driving in Disney World in Orlando. Okay. They do those big car chase. You can go sit, watch these car chases and everything. Sometimes they're tied with like Fast and the Furious or something. Yeah. But he was a stunt driver there. Super cool. Super talented. Yeah. Um, I don't think he really worked much in the movie industry because I don't think he could get... I could be wrong, but I don't think he did much in the movie industry. Hmm. So, who knows? But what do, you, what do you think the skill... What level of skill do you think being in stunt driving... I think it's no different than... Racing? like the Similar. I think it's... Could I go do what those guys do in, in a car? Sun driving yeah, right no, now? But no, know. but I could learn how to do it. Yeah, like I, I know how to drive a car. Right car. Yeah. Well, and it's you like saw what they were doing. It's like what we talked it. about at the 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 Pecla stuff, the PC Porsche Experience Center yeah. stuff. You know, there's things that they can do on there that's like really talented. Well, you're like you go see someone, you're like whoa, and then you see them go on to the race track porch, and you're like oh okay, that's a weird disconnect. And then you go what try do you to mean do on the race track. You, the, uh, you'd see some of the instructors the where no oh, the, the bigger course oh. you'd see the lines they drive and you're like oh, yeah. oh you have oh, yeah. no concept right. but then you go see them do some of the other stuff and you're like i, I can't no i can't do that yeah or i'm not able to do that sure and then you practice it and you're like oh actually i, I just needed to practice yeah, it. It, it it's a different skill set is what i'm driving saying. things too the way some things are done looks really impossibly hard right and it's it's actually more of like learning how to kickflip you know it's just like there's like some steps you right. feel it and then listen i never learned how to kickflip <laughs> i think i've landed and i skated for a long time i was always afraid to get hurt for racing so i never think i never fully committed to it yeah. but i think i've landed two or three kickflips my entire life i was always, i still skateboard yeah i still ride skateboard I every other day no way I have a skateboard that I ride. I used to skateboard though too. No. And I would do, I could never commit to a kickflip though. I could never commit. Just afraid of breaking remember, my wrist and I can't race. I remember learning for so long though. I was trying yeah. so hard. Yeah. I could do pop shove it's all day, baby. Pop shove it. See, I, I think I've only landed maybe one pop shove it. Really? Yeah. I was I horrible those. at those. Loved it. So, anyways. But, anyways, we're getting close to that time. <laughs> Let's, uh, we got to get Dane on, on the Let's call here. On. So, uh, guys, we're going to reach out to Dane here. 
and uh, talk to him about his recent Bathurst adventure, his first time in Bathurst. He's got a lot to talk about there, and hopefully we'll talk a little bit about his path. I want to learn about his path, his to be, story of... Because I think it's a unique. I think it's actually a unique one, and uh, it's a story that will be played out in some ways, similar ways for eternity in racing. But it is, it is unique, yeah. and uh, like I said, man, he's he's my number one uh, American sports car driver. I think you put him in IndyCar. I think he's going whooping up on Newgarden and those guys. Ooh, wow! Talking, talking smack <laughs> right now, but wow! I I'm a firm. I'm a fan. I'm a fanboy. Yeah. So did you race against him? And no, but we when he lived in Atlanta, I lived in Atlanta. We trained three, four days a week together gotcha. and uh, spent a lot of time on the sim and together and stuff. And that's cool. Super, super talented. Is that where the you one grew thing up? it was sellers? Where did he grow up? Where he grew up? Northern California. Okay. So why was he in Atlanta? He moved to out out east. Really? Yeah. Why? Uh. I think just for the sports car stuff, I think just being is closer to all that. I think it is, yeah. You ever you ever hear people talk about Team ATL in the sports car world? Yeah. Yeah, Atlanta has a, an absurd amount of top sports car drivers that live there. Right. And like really high-level guys. Why? Uh, I think having rode Atlanta there, it's close to Florida. Um, I don't know. It's there is a community true. there. It's definitely true. The sports car There's industry, a lot of sports car. Like a lot. It's East Coast. It is there's East a Coast. Couple, there's no, a couple it's teams. East Coast. There's, it's East Coast. Well, like, you know, Cameron Racing. No, but most of the drivers, I think. Most of the drivers. I think a lot East of East Coasters. Coast. Yeah. Okay, but like, Dane, would you consider him an East Coaster? Now. He lives in Charlotte. Okay, but he grew up in... So yeah. he was. He but was that's like me. The, I grew up in Northern California. I lived in Atlanta for a long time. You grew up in Northern California? That doesn't we make any sense to me. Doesn't, I grew up in the Bay Area. I can't even believe that. Though. <coughs> it doesn't make sense. When did you move to Atlanta? I lived in Fremont for 10 years. Then moved to Atlanta in 90, end of 95. Okay, which, what, how old were you? 10. I lived in California for 10 okay. years and then moved to... Okay, but that wasn't, okay, so it wasn't like a decision though. So you moved to No, Atlanta. I didn't make that. I made the decision to move back here. Yeah, right. As a ten-year-old, you're not making. I'm not. Hey, shots. mom, dad, we're moving to Atlanta. Why? That's where the racing, That's where the racing scene is. Let's go. Unbridled, you have to pursue it with me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we're gonna give Dane a call here and uh, talk to him a little bit, guys. All right. Are we recording? Yeah. All right. Hold on. We got technology has been made. There we go. That's better. Okay. So should we start? <laughs> Hello, Dane. <laughs> Are we rolling? We're rolling. We're rolling. I don't know how I like it. Man, look at all those trophies behind you. Yeah, look at all that stuff. Yeah. It's what happens when you get married and your wife makes you buy fancy cabinets because she doesn't like all your shit piling up on the floor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no helmets outside the office. All the trophies and helmets must go in the office. Yeah, exactly. Wow. I know. I know Chantel, when we first moved in together, she let me get away with it. And then once we got like a nicer place, she was like, yeah, so no, those are, yeah. you can yeah. find somewhere else to put those. Yeah. <laughs> in the garage. Yeah. And Dane, Dane knows Chantel, so he, he knows how uh, opinionated she can be. <laughs> oh, that's too good. So how's the, how's the jet lag? Are you, are you over the, uh, the Australian jet lag? Yeah. What day is it? Maybe not. Uh, yeah, almost a week, so it wasn't too bad for sure. The way coming back was worse than going down there, uh, because you come back in the middle of the day, kind of thing for sure. But 
uh no it was cool man awesome trip really enjoyed it cool country never been before uh definitely recommend going if you haven't been now that's your first time doing Bathurst. Did you have any expectations going in? And were anything exceed your expectations? Did you spend much time? I know, you know, we used to spend a lot of time on the sim, but did you spend a lot of time on the sim trying to at least get to know, remember what corner comes after next? What, what was the preparation like for that? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did a little bit. Nothing, you know, too crazy. Uh I still think it's just better to kind of get there, but yeah, for sure. A place that's that sort of complex and, uh, and also long, like you don't get a ton of laps there. I was pretty surprised how short the whole practice deal was. We think we had, uh, three hours, so three, one hour sessions and we had three drivers and it's a two minute, you know, five lap or so. So like, yeah. it's not a really ton of track time. You're, you're lucky if you're getting 10, 15 laps in before quality. Yeah, wow. yeah, pretty much. So I was kind of shocked by that. You know, I thought we'd have maybe a little bit more, little bit more seat time but yeah i did some did a little bit of sim stuff before we went tried to watch some video um you know i felt like i had a pretty good idea and it's honestly it's fairly simple for the most part until you crest the hill and you come you know down from the top um yeah you know so i wasn't too worried about kind of the bottom and and all, and all that but for sure there's a the flow that you kind of take to get down the hill and the way you use the brakes to come down the hill you kind of just have to see that see it and and get some laps and get some confidence to uh to kind of have the right rhythm coming down the hill it's uh it's kind of unlike any other any other track in this country for sure i didn't really have a ton of expectations for the weekend because the car had never been i had never been uh we had three guys in the car only renger had been before and he was that was like four years ago so we weren't too sure what to expect the team had never been either so right. we were pretty fine so uh, I was kind of like, well, we'll just sort of see how it goes, have some fun, check the track out, and we'll figure it out how competitive we are once once we get there. I wasn't uh, I wasn't going there thinking we need to be top five or, or whatever it was. There was almost 30 GT3 cars. It was kind of like, we'll just sort of figure it out when we get there and, and sort of see how we get on and, and try to keep her out of the fence for the most part. Did we did we get intimate with the, uh, the wall at all? No, no, no. We kept uh, close close proximity but uh a little bit of a buffer <laughs> that's good that's good to hear yeah it's probably like the slowest at lap at a new track yeah you're like i'm not gonna be that guy yeah you can't be yeah just try not to get run over from the guys that have been there for years god like, yeah i know jesus now you you kind of have an interesting um we were talking beforehand kind of your come up in motorsports but currently you kind of have an interesting uh career because not many prototype guys still race in gt and not many gt guys get to race in prototype racing and you know kind of with the relationship you have with honda and acura you you've kind of been called in to do a lot of this gt racing with the new nsx how's how is it I mean, obviously, you're really experienced, but how is it going back and forth, you know, especially in the season when, you, when you're kind of getting everything going with the prototype stuff to go back and forth and you're like, oh, that's right. This is how this tire performs or this, the car is this much different. You know, and like you said, a lot of these races, you know, you don't get much track time, especially if you're with a gentleman driver or with a driver a little bit less experienced than you. You may give up a lot of that track time just because you're experienced and you're going to kind of rely on that. So how's that kind of been? Yeah, it's it's a it's been the perfect kind of supplement to the to the prototype program for sure. That's kind of the main 
the main deal. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's only 10 races. So it's not really a lot of driving. And there's sometimes with the IMSA schedule, there's some pretty big breaks. So uh, after I sort of did the first year at, at Penske, I started kind of pushing a little bit more with, with HPD to say, Hey, if there's anything else around that you need somebody for or some GT stuff, whatever it is, you know, I'm happy to do it. Obviously I have some pretty good experience in GT3 and GT cars right. before, so, um, you know, I knew I could sort of do it. Um, but to do both in the year is a little bit kind of strange, especially, uh, GT3 cars with the ABS. That's a whole different kind of ball game to drive one car that's carbon brake and one car that's uh, ABS is totally different. And it's like almost, a thousand pounds different brake pressure sort of between the two cars so the first few times were kind of weird for sure to go back and forth and uh and now i've done it enough after you know kind of first part of last year when i first started doing it uh to where i kind of know what each car requires a little bit and you and you kind of switch over automatically maybe the first two laps are a little bit weird in each car you feel a little bit different just seating position wise and everything else um and then you kind of settle in so it, it kind of ends up wrapping into just your normal yeah once you have that muscle memory yeah, it ends up for to just dropping right into like, okay, it's my five laps to get up to speed at whatever track you're at, whether it's new or not, um, and you kind of settle right in otherwise. But no, it's been super cool to to add that program. And um, you know, last year was North American based, and this year is going to be kind of primarily the the intercontinental stuff. So I'm pretty excited about that. Some new tracks, obviously Bathurst already, and uh, should be Spa as well coming up. So I'm pretty excited for that. Never been there as well, so it's That's cool awesome. to. Uh, yeah, did uh, Kailami as well last year in South Africa. So it's been really cool to to kind of stay in the family a little bit, but but add some some killer races and, and events to the calendar. Start checking off bucket list races. Sure. Bring tracks. That's sure. awesome. That's really cool. Now, Dan, can you talk a little bit about how you kind of ended up in sports car racing? Kind of like where, you know, your career was going. You were doing open wheel and you were really, really, really good. And then the change came over to sports car racing. Can you just talk a little bit about like how you, I guess, navigated that, you know, and being that you won a lot of racing and you were Indy Lights or was it, was it Atlantic's at the time? Yeah, it was more Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. They were coexisting at that time. But yeah. 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 And I mean, winning a series like that is a pretty big deal. And then to, to kind of the transition over and kind of where you're, you're at now, where you're fighting for getting seat time, you obviously are racing for Penske, which is a huge deal but then you're still wanting seat time to still race and still drive like GT3, GT3 cars. Can you talk a little bit about, about like how you just wound up there? Yeah, it's, I mean, everybody's story is different and everybody's kind of progression is different. And we had some, some help with, uh, you know, what was the Mazda scholarship deal at the time. And, and that got us up to, to Fort Atlantic, which was a, a level that we never would have been able to afford with, uh, the resources that we had so that was super cool but at that time that was 2008 so that was also the same year that uh, the IRL and Champ Car merger happened so everything was just sort of the landscape there was changing a lot and we basically Lennox was kind of going away we were never going to be able to afford to do Indy Lights um, or even what you did Indy Lights you know it seemed pretty normal that for most people you're going to have to come up with some money for those first couple of years in IndyCar mm. um, so it just seemed kind of unrealistic that to ever have that much that much money to be able to do it whether you felt like you were good enough or not it was it wasn't it was just kind of out of the question how, so how did you compare like Atlantics to Indy Lights like preparation car wise like to go yeah, to IndyCar we're, I think other. we were pretty equal and there was a lot of guys that came from the Atlantic side with with Hinchcliffe you know he was there for a number of years um you know matos was there things like that so there was plenty of guys that that did it it was just more 
I guess I wasn't so dead set that I had to be an any car driver. I just wanted to be a race car driver and I wanted to get paid to drive cars. So it just seemed like there was some more opportunities in the world of sports cars. So while I would have loved to have stayed in open wheel and, and got to IndyCar and it just didn't seem like that was going to happen. So we sort of thought, okay, well, you're kind of at the bit of the crossroads and we can either jump ship now and try to get a head start while I'm a little bit younger and get a couple of years under, under the belt in, in sports cars where, you know, the teams maybe put a little bit more priority on the experience and having done the races. So it's like, okay, well, we can probably scrape together a year or two worth of funding if we need to for, um, to do the Grand M type stuff as it was at the time and, and get that experience and, and really try to be a guy who can make a lifelong career in sports cars. So it was, it definitely was hard because it was, you know, kind of your, your dream and all you knew was, was open wheels. So it's definitely a big transition to, to go over to sports cars, but um, yeah, now it's definitely paying off with um, top flight. I was about to say, about to say it's turned out pretty well. That's so, that's so <laughs> cool. <laughs> I, when, when, uh, when I was still living in Atlanta and when Dane kind of first moved to Atlanta was a little bit just after that transition. And I remember us talking a lot of, you know, just like, dude, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, you know, I think a lot of people in the racing world maybe had, maybe thought you were in a different position of where you were in, in life or with maybe money or, or, or what, or how everything was going down. And you're just like, dude, I don't even know if I'm going to race. Like, this isn't, you know, yes, I, I had all this pedigree from the open wheel stuff, but that doesn't guarantee anything. anything yeah. And, uh, wow. you know, it, it's cool to see that you you are where kind of everyone knew you should be, which is at the top echelon of, of racing. And, you know, now being with Penske and, and with, uh, you know, with someone as your teammate as Juan Pablo is, is really cool. Um, and maybe you can talk a little bit about that because I know Juan pretty well, and I know he's a he's an, he is he is a special person and an awesome an awesome guy. Um, but he is interesting, and he is someone that has a ton of self belief as he should. Um, but how has that relationship been? Because I I mean I can imagine you know the the team's stacked as it is, but you're I think if people were to look, the general person were to look at being teamed up with Castro Neves or being teamed up with Juan Pablo, you'd want Castro Neves as your teammate. Um, because you're still, you're still trying to prove yourself, right? Um, I think you're never oh, done. Yeah. yeah. You're, Just to stay employed, you always feel like you have to a little bit. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But how, how was that? I mean, how, I mean, I know you guys have a great relationship, but, uh, how was that in the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. I think, like you said at the beginning, it's it takes some time. Even when you come from sports cars, I think even the kids who come from open wheel, you there's a little stigma, a little bit that um, superhero kind of thing, or or maybe not focused on how the races work or the the length of the races. So it takes some time, I think, to get that experience and improve yourself in a different area and really just make that other network of of people know you and trust you and uh, and kind of like you to, to drive their cars so that, that definitely took some time and i spent a lot of time in small cars and small teams and all that um so no it's, it's really nice now to um to be in sort of championship winning stuff on a more regular basis <laughs> right. it's great and uh yeah when you go to a place like penske just sort of pushes it up to another notch another level for sure where where we always want to be a place like this um and yeah they did a good job i think of bringing sort of Ricky and I, who were the guys more experienced in sports cars. And, and at that time had won the last two prototype championships. And then obviously sort of the two house names in, in Elio and, and Juan. Um, 
So uh, for sure, at first, I wasn't sure how it was going to go. I didn't know the guy at all. I'd never even talked to him once before I, I signed on. And and Sindrick told me I was going to be with him. So I didn't really know what to expect. Obviously, he kind of has a reputation, right. which he definitely likes having that reputation um, of being kind of hard to work with or, or whatever, you know. Uh, but I think when he's – it's a whole different deal when you're sharing a car with him and, and you guys are sort of together. Um, it, it definitely took him a couple of races, I think, to – to understand the sports car stuff full time, obviously he's been there and had success. But when you're ingrained in it all the time and sharing all the time, that takes a little bit for him. So when he started to figure it out that he needed to depend on each other a little bit, and uh, and that he could sort of trust me, and that I was quick, and then vice versa, and that I gave him respect, and then earned some respect from him for sure. So it definitely took probably the better part of that first year to to feel each other out a little right. bit. Where we're gonna go and. And then by by the time we got to that second half of that year, it was it was no problem at all, and and we started to agree more on the car setup and things like that, and and trust the feedback from each other and that and that type of thing. And then that really ramped into the season that we had last year, which was super strong. But uh, I didn't know what to expect at all when I when I was signed up with him and thought it was going to be honestly kind of a pain in the ass. <laughs> it's turned out to be super super fun, and uh, you know wouldn't have it any other way than to be with the big guy. And it's uh, cool been really really stout and been really impressed with you know i thought he would just be a guy who would be really strong and really fast and uh that was kind of it and just didn't really care much about the car or or whatever or just drive anything but um his the way his mind works for with racing and the way he understands racing and the technical side of the car and handling things like that i was i was pretty impressed with uh and that's been pretty fun to see that's cool now being with penske and I'm sure with the engineering staff that they have, um, you guys can really get the car dialed to, like you said, kind of a compromise of what both of you want in a car. How do you guys differ? Like you said, he he's essentially coming from you know an IndyCar Formula One background, and you know, most the ma- most of your experience is coming from a sports car background. Yeah. So what you like out of a car. You know, did you like a softer car than him where he kind of liked a stiffer feel and you had to adjust? I know you came from a Mazda background, so you are used to a stiffer car. But how did that what were the differences between what you guys look for in a car? Uh, It wasn't. Well, yeah, at first it was maybe a little further away. Um, I think if he's if he's really happy, it's probably just a touch too loose for me. And if I'm really happy, it's like a little too understeer. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of the biggest thing. Not really too different as far as like, uh, you know, earth shattering stuff as far as it be this or that. It was just he likes it to turn kind of pretty strong uh, in the middle. And I like to have maybe a little more platform on the front. So I feel like I can charge a thing maybe. Um, But as we got through that first year and the calendar doesn't change much in IMSA. So we sort of figured out like, okay, Juan's really good at sort of XYZ tracks. Dane's really good at ABC tracks. and, And then it kind of became no problem of like, well, this is your track. You're going to do most of the driving. So you can kind of take a little bit more of what you want, or you're going to need to qualify this weekend or blah, blah, blah. So right. you kind of do your thing for that. And any yeah, the engineer has been super good about tuning us up for qualifying and making sure that each guy has sort of what they need and, and with tire pressures and all that kind of little, little ADB stuff. Um, that was probably been the biggest thing. Um, but it really, the more time that we spend together, and I think the more time that he's in sports cars, the more we sort of end up pretty similar with, with what we want um and he's been really good because he he's so so experienced that he's got no problem for looking down the road for the big picture and the championship and what it takes for a race car 
Um, you know, so he's we've really gotten along really well uh, with that kind of stuff. That's awesome. Uh, recent big news in Penske world, Scott McLaughlin uh, just signed to do, you know, the, he did his test in Sebring. It went really well. And now he's going to do the, the IndyCar race, the road course IndyCar race at Indy. Uh, does that does that tickle your pickle at all? Or you're like, hey, guys, guys, remember, I have an open wheel background. Can I do an IndyCar race, too? Yeah, I'd love to have a go. I mean, it's a cool deal for him. Obviously, he's been killing it in, in Australia and making everybody look silly for the last couple of years down there. So it's, uh, it's a cool little reward for him to, uh, to have a bit of fun and try something different for sure. So uh, I think it went pretty well. We'll see how he goes at the race. It's definitely been been pretty big news, and I think uh, you know everyone will be watching for sure to yeah. see how he gets on. I think he's in the car again at Coda this week for a few more days. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how he goes. And I'd love to – Definitely would love to have a go at some point. Just if we said nothing else for uh, for the picture on the wall for when when I'm fat and slow. Right. <laughs> we just one day you got to drive an Indy car and uh, you tell your you tell tell your grandkids. You know, yeah. I did race Indy car yeah. or I did drive an Indy car race. Exactly. I almost made it. You know. So. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the outlook for the year. Um, obviously, last year we started to see Mazda start to kind of get their act together um, and you know, a couple of the, uh, your, your former, uh, team that you raced with are still strong and they have a strong lineup, but, uh, that Mazda, man, if they can keep it on track, that's, that car seems like it's going to be hard to beat this year. How do you guys have a look? I mean, I'm sure there's some tracks that you, you think, or, you know, you guys have an advantage or you're going to have to pounce at those tracks and some tracks are going to have an advantage and you're going to have to maybe damage control. But how do you see the season going? Yeah, that, that's kind of how last year played out. There's some places that are really good for our package. The uh, um, high-speed corner places are super good for, for our helmets. Um, caddies are really good anywhere with big track movements, big torquey engine. Um, so, yeah, there's some places that are good for us, some places that are left good. They tell us kind of one of the places that's not so good for us. So uh, even though it didn't go great to get fourth-place points, is really not so bad, better than we have in the last couple of years. So... Mazda's been getting better and better, and, and they'll be a threat. Um, they kind of had a lot of help to get caught up, which is good for the good for the sport, good for the series to have another manufacturer there. So um, I think they've caught up enough. I don't think they need <laughs> at this point. Uh, but, yeah, they're, it's another sort of two cars that can win the race for sure, and, and really about any car in the grid now can win. And uh, JDC's kind of turned the wick up with, um, you know, a pro pro pairing and a bit, bit more cash over there. So uh, that's kind of another horse in the race for sure. So. For us, I think it'll be probably pretty similar to, to last year. Obviously, there's really no been no changes to um, to anything, so it's going to be more about, for us, we started off so poorly at Daytona and Sebring and then kind of had to come from behind, so I think really what will be key for us will be to have a good Sebring and uh, try not to bleed any more points than we did at Daytona with the fourth place. Uh, if we can come out of there with the winner podium, we'll be in a lot better shape than we were the year before, and uh, you know once we got sort of into Long Beach, we were super strong. So it was just we did too much, uh, too much poor results to start the year. So I think we'll be we'll be about the same, more or less. Perfect. Yeah. And then also the big announcement recently is uh, the hypercars and IMSA and the ACO kind of coming together to kind of have a platform that's going to allow for everyone to really race internationally. Do you is that kind of something that excites you that kind of maybe gives you a little bit more opportunity? Because I know Penske's even said he's like, you know, this is our opportunity to kind of start to go race at Lamont. We've never really had that opportunity. 
do you kind of see that? Is that an aspiration? You're like to race some of these big, not WC, but these big uh, races for LMP racing. Yeah, I think Le Mans is still a big goal for me. I haven't, uh, I haven't made it over there yet. So every year we try to <laughs> try to put a program together and go, but it's uh, it's a pretty tough place to get. So that's kind of the ideal situation where you could have your full time IMSA program and and still run Le Mans every year with your same same team, crew, car, everything. So it's it's pretty huge, honestly, for for the sport. You could hear it kind of coming and going throughout the last couple of years that it was going to happen, not going to happen. Uh, so it's pretty pretty major that they finally were able to get something done in that direction. So I think still a lot of work to do on what the actual rule is going to be, you know, how it's all going to play out, and who builds what car and what kind of you know BOP nonsense they sort of have to jump through, but. I think it's going to be crazy, man. I think the amount of manufacturers that are sort of waiting in the wings that were waiting for this to happen. Right. I was think just even this morning, I think it was Ferrari was making some noise that they were like, "Hey, this is pretty cool. Like we're into this." You know, I think BMW, Lamborghini, Hyundai, Ford. Wow. There's, I mean, half a dozen manufacturers that were waiting for a global platform to to, to jump on board. So, wow. pretty exciting for for sure. I think Acura as well is, is excited by it. So. Um, yeah, I think now just the hard work for sure for yeah. the, the series to uh, figure out how to make it actual reality. Um, but it's super exciting, I think, to be in prototype right now to see, you know, potentially more manufacturers coming and for the first time in I don't even know how many years, decades really, where you could run a prototype car anywhere in the world and, and win overall races. So it's pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty huge. So is, is that a future partnership where something like the LMDH, I think that's what it's called, right? LMDH? Yeah. Would that would that be something that you'd race at like just the twenty four hours of Lamont, or would you go? Could you go to like any WC race? Like, what's kind of the the yeah, thought behind I mean, it? I think the idea is that that would be that would sort of be the spec, and that's what you would race in IMSA. So, and then you would be able to take your stuff and go race at Lamont. And if you wanted to go do whatever it is, oh, however yeah. many with Silverstone, then you then you could kind of thing. So, and the, right. those guys could come race at Sebring and come race at, you know, Watkins, Petit Le Mans, whatever else they wanted to do. Um, and, or you, so if it was full IMSA or full WEC or picking out the high points or whatever races you want to do, I think that's the intention of it, uh, which would be pretty awesome to kind of globe trot around the world and, and yeah. kind of cherry pick all the best races would be pretty killer. It's that's kind cool. it's kind of like they saw what the GT3 spec that they've come up with has done to GT racing around the world. And they're like, wait a minute, there's something here. There's something of this standardized, all the manufacturers build to this kind of standard. Yeah. You know, you can take this car anywhere in the world. You know, you may be on a different tire, but, you know, you can take the car and go pretty much anywhere in the world and race all these races. And you can see, I mean, the GT3 fields these days are the gnarliest of gnarly fields and racing there is, period. I mean, because every car has two, three, four drivers, depending on how big the race is. And you're at the biggest races. I mean, I remember Spa, the 24 hours of Spa last year, the qualifying was the, one of the craziest qualifying sessions I've yeah, ever like, seen. Like go-kart racing, man. It I mean, is. So I bring your qualified at Bathurst, and I think if he was, we were, we were slow because we had an engine problem, but we were 24th or something. And I think if we were six tenths faster, we were like in the top 10. Like That's it was crazy. crazy. You know, where that's like, that's the gap between cars sometimes in prototype racing. Right. Yeah, the GT3 thing is is pretty wild for sure. So, yeah, I think that, and I think they saw, you know, the 
the IMSA DPI thing was pretty successful and manufacturers liked it. It's pretty small investment relative to, you know, what your Audis and Peugeots and Toyotas were spending, you know, so it gets it into two digit, digit millions, millions instead of three. So I think that's a pretty enticing deal for the European car companies to be able to win them all overall for, you know, 10 or $15 million instead of 200 is a, is a whole different program, you know? Yeah, because I even said this year is the smallest LMP1 field they've ever had in the history of LMP1 racing in WC. I mean, it's like two cars. It's horrible. Yeah, I think it's definitely, it's for sure going to save. And even NIMS' stuff is a little bit lighter this year, for sure. Lost a few cars. So I think something like that was really necessary to almost to save prototype racing at a a, a non-spec level, I guess. You know, that kind of thing, that's easy. That's always around. But as a manufacturer-based prototype deal for sure. I think if this goes the right way, it'll it'll save, almost save the sport to a certain extent. Wow. Cool. Now, we'll, we'll end with this, but uh, we talked earlier a little bit about uh, Honda making the announcement. You kind of have a link to this, but Honda making an announcement uh, that if you win the new F3 series, then they're entering their third year, that you will get uh, essentially budget to, to race in Indy Lights. You've gone through the whole ladder system, um, we talk a lot about drivers spending too much time in the lower series or going into a series that they really don't need to go into. Do you, how do you see for talk? Cause we talk a lot about younger drivers and trying to help these younger drivers, uh, maybe some advice that you give to, to kids. If the opportunities are there, you know, do you need to go through four different series? You know, do you need to spend two years in an F4 car? Kind of what are your thought process on? you know, giving yourself the best value for your buck, but also not getting kind of caught in the uh, the whole ladder system of spending too much time in a, in a specific series, maybe. And I think, too, it's important to say, like, scholarship chasing yeah. a little bit. I think that kind of exists now where you look at the ladder system. There's scholarships for every, you know, step on the ladder. So it's really enticing to probably just follow that route, you know? Yeah. So how do you kind of navigate yeah. through that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we it's sort of what we tried to tried to do was kind of the same, and and uh, I guess what we always tried to to take was where are we going to be at the end of the year was sort of always what my dad and I sort of looked at was what's going to happen when we get to the end. You know, like okay, great, we're going to go do this championship, we can afford it, no problem. But if we win it, do we get a high five? And then you're you got to start all over again, looking for money for the next year. That doesn't really do you any good. Right. We can pick a series like now with this F3 thing where you can go there, you can come up with a budget for it, or you get a bit of help if you do well in F4, I think, don't you? So um, then that's something that's, one, attainable cost-wise, and then, two, you get to the end of it and you're going to Indy Lights. I mean, that's invaluable because there's, you know, nobody can, <laughs> there's not many people that can afford to write that check for right. million and a half bucks or, or whatever it is to, to go to Indy Lights, but can come up with i don't even know what the budget is for f3 you would probably know chris but i'm sure it's a lot easier to scrape together the hundred couple hundred grand or whatever yeah. it is f3 <laughs> and uh and then knowing that you're going to be able to win yourself to the next level sure. is what we tried to, to do and then for i guess with the progressing it was it sort of depended on how how it went i guess i only ended up staying one year kind of at every rung but it was sort of more more due to cost than anything else. It was ended up just being a better deal to move up to the, the next thing. And I think as long as you're kind of in the top two or three in that category anyway, and if there's no big, you know, carrot at the end of it, 
you know, then you might as well sort of go to the next thing and kind of move on to the next group of guys, more competitive, faster car kind of thing, keep right. progressing. You know, you don't want to end up, you know, be 25 and, and on your fifth year of Indy Lights or whatever for sure, you know. So um, that's kind of how we always tried to, to do it in that sense. But, yeah, really the big thing was always like, okay, what's going to happen at the end of the year? And, and there was one point where we were – I was going to go race in Europe full full time in 2000. Seven, I think it was, and do Palmer Audi because they had some. There was some F two scholarship or something. I think at that point, you know, not not F two now, but that the other one that was around for a few years. Um, but the scholarship wasn't as good as the one that Mazda was offering here in the states. So we and the budget was less. So we elected to stay and do Star Mazda and kind of push to try to win that championship and, and get the free ride the next year to do, um, you know, Formula Atlantic and. Really, you can't really make it happen. I don't think without some of these scholarships, for sure. No, we were we talked to Oliver Askew um, on our last podcast, and he said the same thing. He just was like, "I don't know what would have happened if I didn't have the scholarship yeah. money. Like, it just yeah. wasn't possible." And yeah. he talked a little bit about like he's like, "I had no other option. There was no Plan B." You know, yeah. it's like a great example for that for sure. You know, so and he, and he's uh, obviously a Team USA guy and you know, went through and he's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does this season in his rookie year. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I think there's a fine line between staying in the junior formula forever and ripping through it so fast that when you get to the top, you're not really ready, you know? So if you've done what Oliver's done and you've won your way through everything, then yeah, there's no, what's the point of staying when you've already won and you have the scholarship for sure. But when you see guys that sort of jump, you know, head first or start in F3 and spend four years or whatever, that's really not ideal. You probably should have gone and done F4, learned something and, and kind of bagged another championship type of thing. But, um, yeah, it's, you, there's definitely, I think, a big rush these days to to get up the ladder as fast as possible for some reason. Definitely the kind of a stop in effect for yeah. sure. <laughs> when everybody sees it, you can get there at 18 or 17 or whatever he was that makes everybody else want to do it. And I mean, I don't really think that's necessary. I mean, I think you're better off to, to be more prepared and there's definitely every level you're going to learn something new. And there's a reason why the cars, there's gaps between um, the cars in terms of pace and adjustability and things like that. It's to sort of feed it to you in a way that, um, you know, you can handle, I think for sure. And uh, there was times where I jumped in, uh, Prototype cars, yeah, I did some prototype stuff when I was still in Star Mazda and things like that, and I definitely did not feel ready at that time to be racing in that kind of environment for sure. So going back and staying in single seaters and then doing, you know, kind of doing my time really in smaller GT programs really made me a lot more complete and a lot more confident now to be in, uh, you know, in the high level programs that I'm in now. Cool. How many years did you spend in kind of like Grand Am level sports cars? Uh, I was there, yeah, I was primarily on that side, so 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, so I was kind of over there bouncing back and forth between prototype and GT, sort of depending on yeah. on the year and on, and on the program until that uh, until that championship merged in 2014 um, and became one and it became IMSA, so um, I did one or two races in on the American Le Mans side, but um, for whatever reason, just wasn't getting as much traction as I was on the Grand Am side. Yeah, gotcha. Cool, man. Well, we appreciate you uh, taking your time out. I know you're a busy guy, got a family. Tell your wife I said hello. 
and uh, we'll uh, hopefully see you at the at the races soon. And and good luck in Sebring's next for you guys, right? Yeah, yeah. So we do Sebring test uh, in about a week, and then uh, yeah, mid March for for the twelve hours down there, and then uh, I think uh, Long Beach is after that, and then yeah, start gearing up for Spa as well. So pretty excited for that trip. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully I'm in town for Long Beach. I normally yeah. am not, but uh, if I'm in Long Beach, I'll be sure to uh, come down sure. and, and say hi and maybe grab a brew after the race or something. Yeah, yeah, that'd be right. awesome. There you go. <laughs> All right, dudes. All right. Anytime. Later. See you. All right, see it. There you go. There's uh, a little conversation with Dane Cameron, Penske LMP IMSA driver. Um, Dane's just a cool cat, man. He's just a cool cat, super professional, um, knows his shit. And, uh, he, man, him and Juan Pablo again this year are just going to be a threat every single race. Dude, I, I, I'm a big fan of Dane Cameron now. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be friends I, with I him. I knew enough. Yeah, I was like, I want to be friends with him. Like, he, he's awesome. Yeah. He's super cool. He, uh, my unique thing, I totally forgot to bring it up when we were talking, but his, his dad, Ricky, engineered for me in 2017 pro mazda season and he it's so funny like the way that dane said like the car he likes like where something where you can kind of hustle it in so it's a little bit pushy just Mm -hmm. a little bit on the the same way i need a little bit of understeer on the front just so i have that confidence to really attack to really send it and you could just do it all with your foot with the brake pedal get it to turn anyway but like yeah i i know that um ricky like to set the car up like that so it's no like it it makes total sense that like ricky the way he likes a car is how you know his dad likes yeah, to set up exactly cars, you know exactly so that that's cool it went full circle that's cool well guys thanks again uh make sure you like subscribe send us put some comments in the in the bottom of who you want to maybe for us to interview coming up maybe some topics you guys want us to talk about but uh like i said we're, we're in this thing for the long haul now so let's keep it moving. Share this with your friends. Look, um, we're totally fine with this being a niche audience. Oh, it's going to stay niche. It's going to stay niche. You know, we're fine. 100 views on something. Great. <laughs> Whoa. It's 100 people. That's 100 people. And like, look, I get it. This is thick information that honestly, like I 95% of people won't listen to this. No. Because it's too much investment of time. It's too much. It's too much. And it's too deep in racing. I get it. Like th- those people really aren't going to give a shit. This is just for people that are like pretty in it. <laughs> They're in it. Deep. Pretty in, in it. it. And But trying to figure like life out a little bit more. Yeah. You know, like. I'm still figuring out life. And, yeah. But like not just pursuing, I'm going to be a professional race car driver. Right. You raced and that gives you this toolkit to do anything you want. You can keep racing. You can pursue a professional career. You can like get into marketing. Right. You can, you can start writing. You can do so many things from it. You could be an engineer. You could build cars. You could. You could do so many different things. So, I think that's our niche audience. It's really at like, <laughs> it's a small number. Super niche. It's super niche, but I'm okay with that. It feels good. That's good. All right. Well, guys, see you again next time. And uh, we need like a sign off. Do we need a sign off, what or should it just like awkwardly with? end? I mean, the last one awkwardly ended, but I had to cut it. <laughs> I feel like we need to come up with a sign. So, if any of you guys have a good sign off that we could uh, do on like to the you, next round, you got to like ask a question, like something. Ooh, I like Jesus and Miro. How they always have like what's on your like um, neon sign, like what would mm. be on your neon sign or something like that. Right, right, right. Could do something like that. Yeah, or like what message would you put on, put on a billboard? Yeah.
your, you know? your mazels of the day, like Andy Cohen on Watch What Happens Live. We could end with something like that. So Something, yeah. Just okay. bring in some okay. quotes. We'll think about it. Next episode, we're going to have a proper way to end the episode. Until then, we love you guys. Thanks for, thanks for sticking thanks in there. Thanks for the love. You know, the audio might not be perfect. But we're getting there. We're getting there. If you know a sound engineer that needs some school credits. Video too. Video I mean, too. God damn it. Holler. <laughs> Holler at your boys. It takes like, an, it seriously took me like a week to edit the last podcast. Yeah. And I know it's going to get like no views. So it's, <laughs> it's just this like, you, you, it's you, a weird you ROI. Definitely, you definitely wanted to be like, we just aren't going to post it. No, I knew we were going to post it. Oliver, like you got to get you that got, shit well, out there. Maybe just post the Oliver interview. I didn't even, I thought yeah. this thing's right. going. I need pizza. I need something. Okay. All right. Later. Love you guys.